Welcome. This is Horror and More with Anya Gore. I am your host and your horror mistress, Anya. And tonight I have a very special guest. You may not know, or you might know if you follow my Instagram page, I have a sister. Uh, we recently did a shoot together for the Us movie tribute. And uh, this is my sister, Julia. Hello, everybody. First, I want to shout out Cal24. If you don't follow him on Instagram, I highly recommend it. If you're hearing noise in the background tonight, it is because we have a dog in the house, little Lana. So tonight, we, my sister and I, have challenged ourselves and done something a little different. We read the short story, The Children of the Corn, written by Stephen King. And we decided to watch the movie, and we're going to do a little bit of a compare and contrast and review of the story and the movie. Um, so just a little background to the story, which I just found out tonight. It was written by Stephen King in 1977, and it was initially published in Penthouse. I did not know oh, that. Yeah. I know. I didn't know that. <laughs> and then it was later added to his collection, which is Night Shift, in 1978. So, a little interesting tidbit there. Uh, the movie was released in 1984. So, before we delve into the details, what was sort of your overall opinion of the story? Of the story first. Well, I loved it. It was a short story, so, you know, under 30 pages, and I just love Stephen King's writing. I feel like it, it's intriguing, it's engaging. It didn't have to be a long story to get you involved and make you want to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know? I agree. Yep. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess it depends how much I, you want me to speak about in this moment <laughs> right now. Well, just, uh, I was thinking summary. And yeah. then if you, ha okay, so if you had to give it, say, how many stars out of five stars would you give the story? I haven't read a lot of short stories before. I realized that I've only ever really read novels, but as a whole, I, I think, I think a four out of five. I just, I really like Stephen King and mm -hmm. I like his writing. Mm -hmm. What about you? Yeah, I would actually give it a five out of five. I loved it. Um, as a fan of Stephen King, and I've read a fair amount of his books, I've had to put down a fair amount of his books as well. The gore in some of them. Ironically, I'm aware of this. Um, <laughs> sometimes the gore is a little bit too much for me to stomach. Misery and It were two movies I or two books I had to step down and I could not continue to read. I'm going to read Misery soon, so mm. I'm excited to <laughs> maybe talk about it with you after if you can maybe. handle that. <laughs> if I could pick it up and finish it. Yeah. But if you had to give a star rating for the movie out of five, what would you give that? <laughs> uh, I don't know, one? Yeah. <laughs> you too? <laughs> maybe a one. Yeah, I'm like, can we give a zero? I don't know. Point five. I mean, it's a movie. We watched it. It is a movie. <laughs> and, um, so this is where I will tell you, spoiler alert, if you want to read the story or you want to see the movie and you haven't done either, pause this here, go read, go watch, and then come back and join us as we discuss the differences and things that we did enjoy in the movie over the book. Um, so what was one of the first things that you noticed? We took notes, by the way. <laughs> well, I mean, first I'll start off and say that in general, I'm a person who likes to read the book first, then see the movie. I find that most commonly, I don't know, for me, movies are not usually as good as the books. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. anyway, so that being said, I think the beginning, jumping right in, the point of view, um, of the main character is different. So right in the, in the story, I should say story, not book. In the story, it's from Bert and Vicky's point of view. So Bert and Vicky are the main characters. Um, and in the book, they are a married couple 
who are grasping at straws to <laughs> um, to keep their marriage alive. And um, they are struggling to be happy. They're struggling to stay together. They really just, this is like a last ditch effort for them to save any semblance of marriage. They have nothing but animosity between the two of them, bitterness, hatred, loathing. And, uh, and so that's Bert and Vicky. And in, yeah, in the movie, in the movie, on the other hand, that was not portrayed. No, they're that type of dynamic with them. No, right? no. It started off the opening scene was loving and happy and childish. And I think maybe she might've made one offhand comment to him. And then he made one small offhand comment back to her. And that was primarily it. Whereas in the book, every comment was made through gritted teeth and, oh, well, you know, there you are, Vicky, making something up again. And her response would be something along the lines of, oh, well, Bert, there you are being angry about it again and just nothing but animosity. So, so yeah, yeah the storyline did not start off um, in the book. It starts off from, well, like it's his, is his perspective. Mm -hmm. It's Bert's perspective in the movie, however. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that just starts off with some of the kids right away. A, a boy, young boy specifically who we don't actually even really no. <laughs> yeah. You see, I mean, he's in it, but why it's from his perspective, that was not made clear. No. I mean, so it's, I think it's fine in a movie to have different perspectives and I don't know. It just took away from, yeah, like you said, like the, the whole point of the beginning of the story was their relationship not being great. And then the story unfolds as they're like hating each other and dealing with what happens, you know? So the story of what happens is, um, the, at the beginning of both stories, mostly, um, Vicky and Bert are driving and they are on this, like I said, this road trip, this last ditch effort to save their marriage. And they end up, um, I guess Vicky read the map incorrectly and in the story and, and they ended up coming up to a town named Galen, Gatlin, Gatlin, mm -hmm. Gatlin. And, um, as they're driving and bickering in the story, but not bickering in the movie, um, they hit a young boy. I think they said he was 13 in the story, not addressed so. in the movie and they hit him and, uh, in the, the, just the dynamic difference in the book, horror, they are horrified. They are terrified. Vicky doesn't want to get out of the vehicle because she is so taken aback by what has happened. And, you know, he's grumbling and angry and distracted and doesn't know what's going on. And in the movie, they both hit something and go, Oh, la dee da. What, let's go check it out. What is it? You know? <laughs> and they get out there and that's when they realize they've hit this young boy. And at first they're both grief stricken, obviously, and in shock that they've hit somebody. But then that's when Bert realizes that this kid's throat has been slashed. And that's sort of the introduction to the, this world that they stumble across that's surrounded by corn, corn, giant cornfields corn everywhere corn everywhere <laughs> quite literally everywhere it's an entity that is just growing everywhere corn is sprouting out of cars and houses and churches and <laughs> schools schools and... <laughs> that's right but um yeah and so in both the book and in the or in the story and in the movie that puts them pretty much on high alert right away. Something's not right here. So they wrap up the boy's body and they stick him in the trunk. And, uh, in the story, they basically want to get to a police station, any police station they can, so they can report what's happened in the movie though. Bert decides to go wandering in the corn for some <laughs> unknown reason to us and stumbles across this kid's uh, luggage and takes it with him. Whereas in the story, 
he was holding it when he got hit. Mm-hmm. And that's for some reason they start rummaging through it, I guess, to see who he is and come across this concocted cross, I guess, made of yeah. horn husks. <laughs> and again, in this story, uh, Vicky is just freaking out about this. Like, Get this thing away from me. I don't want this anywhere in the car. And then in the movie, Linda Hamilton, who plays Vicky, oh, wow, look at this. I don't know why this is here. Oh, okay, well, you know. <laughs> yeah, pretty different reactions. Like, I think as you're reading the story, too, like, it instills the sense of just creepiness in you. Mm -hmm. the, like, the way that it's written and it's described, as you're reading it, it's like, oh, my God, like, that would be so eerie. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, in the movie, it's just like, oh, nonchalant, whatever. No, no big deal. We've nonchalant. This, little, this yeah. little corn handmade cross. It's really creepy. Just in this luggage and you know, weird. By some kid that was slit in the throat. But it's a, it's a safe tell. Yeah, they kind of laughed it off They did laugh it off. Yeah, so <laughs> definitely differences in terms of characters and how they're reacting to things. Yes. Between the story and the and the. The movie, yeah. I think um, in the in the movie, they wanted it to come from this innocent boy's perspective, and they wanted to kind of show a bit of a history and background, because the opening scene in the movie is with this young boy talking about these two main characters, Isaac and Malachi, who have orchestrated the killing and murder of all adults in this town. And so at the beginning of the movie, that basically happens. And so I guess from the, you know, director's perspective, they felt that that was an important element to the story was this history of these children. But that's where I thought there was, it was flawed because Stephen King did a 20 page short story about this without that history, mm -hmm. because these adults don't know that history coming into it and that makes it even more creepy yeah well i mean they had to turn it into a movie so of course there's all these added extra details like how do we fill time i guess but i guess but i agree like in the story you just you don't know what's going on you don't know why it's happening mm -hmm. and yeah bert and vicky have no clue or no explanation where things are kind of getting explained to them in the movie yeah it and unfolds for them yeah, but also because in the book you're seeing, or in, sorry, in the story, you're seeing it from, like, specifically from Bert's point of view. He's describing what is happening, where the movie's jumping back and forth between their perspective and then the kids, and, um, yeah, I don't know. It just, it was jumbled a little bit and created a different kind of a feeling. different atmosphere. I was going to say atmosphere, too. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> and just different vibe. <laughs> Um, sorry, I'm just reading. No, I also there. will say too, to jump into like kind of one of the next things. So like in the beginning, right? So it starts off with the, that, the little boy and they go into killing all the adults, mm -hmm. but you see the creepy children right away. Mm -hmm. Like, I think what I liked about the book is that there's this buildup and you mm -hmm. don't see them. Like you mm -hmm. don't know what's going on. I mean, I think everybody by now knows roughly the story of Children of the Corn. So even though growing up, I had not seen the movie, surprisingly, mm -hmm. um, I didn't really know the whole story. I just knew it was about creepy kids in, in a corn maze or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I didn't really know exactly what was going on. So I liked kind of the slow build in the book. I thought that he does a great job of building tension with just the little details of what he's saying. And before you, you see them, where in the movie it's, you know, right away there's that scene where you, you look out the window and you can see is it Isaac, right? Isaac just standing yeah. there, staring out the window, and it wasn't as creepy. I don't no, know. yeah, it was kind of given to you on a silver platter, and you obviously know something bad is about to happen. Um, I agree with you completely, completely. I also thought the casting was flawed. <laughs> so my, <laughs> we looked up the age of Isaac because there was just something off about this guy, and he was 28 at the time that this movie would have been filmed and or released and he was supposed to be playing a 17 or 18 year old kid and i understand that you know that that role is impactful it needs to be someone creepy but it just what it just wasn't it didn't hold up i also noticed and i made a note of this that in the first scene 
where they the kids all kill they come into this diner and kill all these adults one of the waitresses ends up walking out behind malachi yes you're right but she was about 25 or 30 years old and she i was thought, i think even older than it, that yeah she it was clearly like... clearly an adult but the whole scene was for all the adults to be murdered so i thought mm -hmm. that was just casting inconsistencies with the movie mm -hmm. little things that maybe a director today would not fall on but a director you know 30 40 years ago might <laughs> yeah different times i guess i guess so. or maybe there's you never know there's a different purpose i don't know wasn't explained as to why she was spared <laughs> if she was an adult well she she was walking out with a machete in her hand yeah so i she so like she's part of it yeah yeah. One thing I did like that they did not do and that Stephen King did not do in the story that they did in the movie was the kids kept messing with the signs and mm -hmm. they, they kept putting signs, you know, Gatlin is two kilometers away or two miles away. Gatlin is one mile away and they would get there and it would be five miles later and they would say, wait a minute, how did we not already pass it? And how is it suddenly further away than it was closer and now it's suddenly closer again than it is further away mm -hmm. so it, it add that added a nice little twisted element of that these kids are really trying to throw people off from where Gatlin really is and they I think there was something along the lines of that in the story but it wasn't as obvious like I think they just kept saying like it like why are we not at Catlin yet? Like, that yeah. doesn't make sense. Yeah, yeah. So then you have the, the reason why was the kids messing with the signs and yeah. stuff, which I did like too. Yeah. It's a good little, like, detail. I thought so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, A big one that we talked about several times until about halfway through the movie was how much time had lapsed between these killings and then when you know, the, this couple comes into town and it was obvious in the book, you know, this within the first few pages, they talk about that virtually right away. They yeah. talk about the gas prices and she says to Bert, when is the last time you saw those gas prices this low? And he said, I don't know, three or four years ago, but you don't find out that time gap until halfway through the movie. And then it's a little distracting. I found because then I started kind of going back in my mind at that point, <laughs> whereas if that had been presented earlier, then I wouldn't have been distracted by it at that time. And I would have been able to completely focus on what was happening and unwinding in front of me. And it was just confusing too. It seemed like it was jumping back and forth. And even just from seeing the opening scene, which was that, I guess, three or four years ago, which you didn't know at that point, mm -hmm. um, you see Malachi who looks identical oh. three to four years later, like the same haircut. Yeah. There's been no, no change. Age. I mean... A young teenager in three, four years, you're gonna look quite different. Oh yeah, yeah. If he's if like he's, he'd be a man, then, I think at the seventeen age of or eighteen like, years yeah. old, three years later, and he's supposed to be yeah, fourteen or fifteen. Yeah, no. So that inconsistent. was inconsistent. Yeah, inconsistent. <laughs> a little confusing, <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> just weird, just off. The ending. Um, so basically, what happens in the book or the story is they end up getting to this Gatlin town and it's virtually empty and they end up getting to a church where Vicky is just freaking out Bert don't leave me here do not go in this church we need to leave what are you doing and Bert is insistent on needing to find some answers and for some reason he thinks he's going to get answers when he goes to this church and in the movie um they go to a house and they get into this house and there's these two young children and, you know, Bert's like, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to leave the keys with you, Vicky. Okay, I love you. Have a good time. It's safe. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and uh, either way, in both stories, Bert ends up in the church and that's when he finds this list of all the kids. And it confirms that, yes, everybody that gets to a certain age is killed. And that's when in the movie we come across someone who's going to be sacrificing himself to this whatever presence they keep praising as their god and uh, and in the story this is where i enjoyed this was my favorite part where they ended up coming up to the car that vicky is still in and they get her and uh basically bert gets out of the church and 
Malachi throws this dagger into his shoulder and instantly he pulls it out. Malachi comes running at him. Bert, you know, cuts Malachi's throat. Malachi's dead, gone. That does not happen in this movie. I guess you can't, maybe back then it wasn't, you know, okay to kill a child on TV. Maybe. I mean, they were children. <laughs> Malachi's what, like 18, 19, 19 almost at yeah, that age. Yeah. But still, that was definitely a very different, very different uh, plot line. Well, and they get Vicky at the house in the movie, and then they take her basically unharmed and put her up on this stalk of corn in this large cross. In the the story, they basically have already killed her. I mean, she's not dead, but they have taken out her eyes. And I think she is dead. She's Well, they sacrifice her, yeah. right? So she's not completely dead, but they've removed both of her eyes and have put her in this cross. And, and they put little, they put the, like, shove the corn stalks corn into stalks. her eye holes. Yes. Or eye sockets, which that imagery, when you're reading Ugh. the book, because again, the whole like story builds up in the tension and it's yeah. eerie. Yeah. Like I was even at work reading this and you know, it's busy bustling around. Like there's things happening around me as I'm on my break reading and I was just so like into it yeah. and didn't yeah. want to put it down. But yeah, well, I really the, missed a lot of that, those creepy aspects. The buildup of even Bert uh, running from the vehicle through the corn maze or mm -hmm. through the corn trying to get to her and trying to find her. I mean, there was none of that in this story in any way. He just ended up with the kids and they said, oh yeah, they're over there. And they walked yeah. over to the to the barn. And then, yeah, when he gets there, she's fine. But wasn't <laughs> and, uh, this like when they're first running through the corn and he doesn't know at this point, I don't think in this story, that no. she's gone, right? He's looking for he's her. He's looking for her. And, and I mean, that's the really neat element of the story is that he's guided but mm -hmm. doesn't know. Why? That, well, he doesn't even know he's being guided, mm -hmm. but the, the children are keeping a peripheral around him mm -hmm. so that every time he sees them, okay, they're a little bit more on the left of me. I better veer off right. Oh, now they're a little bit more on the right of me. I better veer off left. And so they're guiding him into this opening. And yeah, in the movie, it was two young kids saying, we know where that she is. I there was also though in the book, like there was also the feeling that something else was guiding him so that yeah. entity or that thing yeah you know guiding him like he said he was saying he was like running through and it's like the corn was just parting a little so you yeah do see a little bit of that in the movie and but it was only like for a second where yeah. he's like what's going on with the corn yeah he sees it moving and then that's it but it wasn't that again that same like eeriness or feeling of that ominous presence kind of that's true so in the in the end of the story he gets to this opening and that's where it's a presence it's a creature we don't really know it's not really described in detail all you know is that he gets there and him and vicky are sacrificed and they die and that's the end of the mm -hmm. story and of course they have to wrap it up in a nice little bow in the end of the movie where they end up lighting all of the corn on fire and it gets this creature who has now possessed Isaac who was initially sacrificed because Malachi turned on him Malachi <laughs> was still alive so a lot of loose ends that quickly got wrapped up by him burning the corn and then the special effects were disappointing <laughs> and okay we're, just, we were laughing like we were laughing and not even because special effects in that time era generally aren't as good, obviously, as they are as they are today. But we were even talking about in the movie The Fog. Like, it was creepy. And it was yeah. just fog. There this... were lots of movies in the 80s that still, like... It doesn't always matter when you look back and you watch an older movie that the technology was different. Like, mm -hmm. you can still get the, you know, what's going the on. The good But this feel. was, like, actually, I think, the worst <laughs> Like, I don't, like, really bad into what this entity or this cloud... It reminded me a little bit of a cloud from a video game in totally. Nintendo. And it didn't fit with, like, the real people in the, in the movie. Yeah. It was... Um, so. It You know what it also made me think of, actually, is when, you know, when someone has night goggles on yeah, and you can oh, totally. see the phosphorescent outline of their body. <laughs> that is what this entity 
was moving like and it came and took over Isaac's body and then it exploded in this giant explosion <laughs> of fire and false I don't even know can I just add though like I also had this thought in that scene we we're watching that I thought I thought back to my high school days and like I was in drama video and I thought I could maybe do something better than that wow. and that was you know in like 2000 yeah. 2001 yeah. I mean I didn't maybe couldn't necessarily do all that but we did editing stuff and like mm -hmm. that was just so bad well like we talked about they there was the, these giant explosions at the end of the movie they obviously put the budget towards that and lacked in the casting the acting yeah. the special effects for the creature um would almost just have been better if they didn't even show the creature that's right I like agree. in the story yeah like you were saying you just you don't, they do say in the story that you see like these glowing eyes at one point, but mm -hmm. you don't know, like, what is it? You have no clue. And I think that's where movies these days, like current films, are kind of getting away from this whole stereotype, not like a stereotypical like story where, like you said, it's wrapped up at the end with a pretty bow, like they're okay, they survived. And that's the story. Like, mm -hmm. don't get too scared, folks. But now everything needs to be over explained and. Well, and end in a positive note. Like, yeah. why would the story was so well done and they're sacrificed and just the details of that in the story were amazing yeah and yes yeah, so i will say i appreciate that about current movies where there's lots of different types of endings and sometimes i love that things are not always explained or mm -hmm. that things end in a negative note and you're like oh oh shit, that was intense or you know mm -hmm. you have different feelings like that's what sticks with you when it's not just this cookie cutter like Okay, everybody's fine now. Yeah. <laughs> we made it. Hurrah. Yeah. And we're going to bring these innocent children to live with us, and we're going to care for them now. Yeah, this, like, couple who, in the story, were hating each other. <laughs> and then, yeah, they had, like, two words of disagreements in the movie, and we'll take these kids home. <laughs> yeah. So this was a fail in mm -hmm. my mind of a movie adaptation of a well-written Stephen King yeah. story. I think I wanted to like it going in because I knew it was a movie that, like, you liked as a kid growing up, mm -hmm. but, you know, when you watch something when you're eight versus when you watch it now, mm -hmm. the feelings are different. So I, I thought it was going to be better than it was. Yeah, it was not, I have these, not good. <laughs> like, you know, so many movies from our childhood that mm -hmm. I still really like. Oh, The Fog. It's yeah. An, well, yeah, we grew up watching that. The Shining. Yeah. So many good ones. So yeah, overall disappointing, mm -hmm. but still read the story. People. Yeah, the really, story is really, really great. It's really such a good. quick read because it's under thirty pages. Yes, and I kind of almost wish there was more to it. Well, but... I mean, now now you have a sh it's a short story collection, so there's yeah. a whole bunch of those. Yeah, I didn't read the rest of no. Yeah. The short story is a night shift, but yeah, kudos to Stephen King as always. Just maybe with the... As a writer. As a writer, yeah. With the movie. No, not Hit or so miss. Much. Well, he didn't do that movie, but any yeah. hand that he has had in any of his movies, they've been terrible. They've just been terrible. And I mean, I understand he didn't like The Shining, and I get why. It was very different than mm -hmm. the book. It really was. Yeah. And the book, it's, in my opinion, a, almost virtually a flawless piece of writing. It is so well done. It is so interesting. It's such a good slow burn. It's detail-oriented when it needs to be. And then, yeah, Stanley Great tension again. Oh, like, totally. Such great tension. Such so great many tension. times where I realize as I'm reading that I'm holding my breath. Yes. Or I, yes. I realize, I'm like, oh my gosh, like, what? am I not? And I, like, I love reading those things. I wouldn't think normally that a book gets you feeling that way so much but oh my gosh it does yeah his stories are yeah written that way and i love that and then stanley kubrick did something different with it <laughs> not to which i not still to love diss on well but... that's a that's a good segue then let's yeah. let's talk about as i like to ask everyone that's going to be on on this podcast I asked you what your top three favorite <laughs> horror movies were. And interestingly enough, she is the first person I've had on here that didn't have a concrete list. Very and hard. I mean, it can be for sure. And I, and I appreciate that because you are a huge horror movie buff and it, for you, it takes thought and you have to connect a feeling to it. It's not just, Oh, I watched this movie 30 times. I guess I enjoyed it. Sure. 
for you it's well I like horror movies and within this horror movie genre I like these subgenres. Do you want me to talk about my favorite from <laughs> horror comedy? Do you want me to talk about my favorite paranormal one? My my favorite, you know, it, there's so many genres that you can talk about and I like that you didn't just want to answer that right away cuz I, I can appreciate that <laughs> even though I told you you had to answer me right away. That so. was a challenge. <laughs> Well, let's talk about which, which would you like to start with? Well, I think we, we were already talking about it. So The Shining, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's, you know, I saw that movie when I was quite young, mm -hmm. you know, as we, we both did. I don't mm -hmm. even know if we watched it together back then. I mean, I'm quite a bit younger, so we probably didn't, I imagine. There was a six year gap between my <laughs> sister and I. Um, yeah, I would have been, yeah nine or ten when we started watching that so you would have been three or four yeah, so, so maybe it was on maybe yeah. I subconsciously you know <laughs> yeah. I I remember pieces and that's why I love it but yeah. Yeah. I think over the years I've watched I mean I'm not somebody who rewatches movies over and over and over again I know sometimes when you love when you like gotta watch it a lot mm -hmm. but I think I've seen The Shining like three or four times so for me that's a lot and um what I loved is that you know I hadn't seen it in a long time and then recently as part of my book club um that was my my pick and we read the book um for years you've been telling me to read the book mm -hmm. and i don't know i've just been like this year i need to read more books you know new year new resolution whatever <laughs> um thanks but i love it and that was that was such an amazing book um so yeah watching the movie again after having that new perspective um brings me back to my point before that I've really enjoyed the books more typically than yeah. the movies, but The Shining is still one of my favorite movies because Jack Nicholson, like, come on. Yeah, his performance <laughs> in that. Woo-wee. Yeah. That's, I mean, iconic. Everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. And the movie is still great, but once you go down this rabbit hole of researching, like, all these little details in the movie that were, like, Stanley Kubrick's way of saying, I'm doing this my way, and, like... Yeah, Stephen King, you may have written it, but now I'm taking, I'm taking over and mm -hmm. like making it my own. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting hearing all those little differences, and you start kind of seeing things you didn't see before. But I do think there was a lot missing from the movie um, that they could have done really well in the book. Agreed. They you know? they it's to me. I thought it was a bit odd that they what was chosen as. An important element mm -hmm. so the twin girls are a huge part of the movie and I think maybe they're referred to what three times in the book yeah they're barely 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 in it because they don't need to be because the presence is so strong but I get that it's hard to sometimes I guess in general like portray a presence like we said when you're reading and you're you're mm -hmm. building that tension mm -hmm. there's ways that you can build tension in a movie, which The Shining, it did do that, mm -hmm. um, but it's just different. So mm -hmm. I think it's harder to always show that on screen, especially when it's this big presence that well, you feel. Well, the topiary scene wouldn't have been feasible for him to do at that time frame either, right? No, and it probably would have looked pretty ridiculous yeah. or cheesy. So I'm glad that they didn't do that. But for I anyone think... that hasn't read The Shining, there is a topiary scene where the topiary is coming after Danny, and it it's it's these large ominous creatures and they become they come alive and they just start chasing him and he is just terrified terrified and i think they almost get him but he ends up running into the front door is that right I think they get yeah they get him a bit they scratch him but i think what i liked about it is that again it was like a slow build so throughout the whole story he would turn around and like see the creature you know that's made out of whatever leaves and stuff, a mm -hmm. bush. And then he'd be walking, look back and it would be closer to him. Yeah. So it's like, just like inching and inching forward where he's like, wait a minute, did that move? Am yeah. I going crazy? And then even Jack started seeing it though. Yeah. Yeah. So he was seeing it and like, oh my God, he just thought he was going crazy, which you know, he was, but he was, but it was also really happening. Yeah. And this poor five-year-old kid, I, I, you know, what's really cool too. That just, you reminded me, saying five-year-old kid, but in the, in the book, The Shining as well, it's a lot of it's from Danny's perspective. As it a is. Kid. Yeah. So he actually like, you have the child's thought mm -hmm. and then it bounces back, but still really well written. Like you wouldn't think reading kid, like something from like a five-year-old's perspective would be interesting, but it is. And mm -hmm. the way that he says words versus the way that they would be said as an, as an adult, like you can tell that it's different. So I thought that was a 
a unique thing that agreed has done. agreed if you remember that from reading it but yeah. i do I, I actually just started reading it again this past oh. weekend oh so i was reading it a little bit earlier today and uh hmm. it was a really interesting scene which i I think they didn't play up enough of the shining and the importance of it, especially yeah. in this five-year-old child. Because, yes, in in this story, in this world, people have shinings. But this child is five years old and is seeing words flash in his parents' minds like divorce, mm -hmm. red rum, murder. And this five-year-old child doesn't know what these words mean, but he can feel the emotion from his parents while they're thinking this and the complexity of that shining in itself just shows that this kid has a shining that wouldn't be with just everybody mm -hmm. people that just tune into other people or that can you know psychics or even doc Holleran who has a shining his isn't like that it's not that same level of complexity and it's yeah. crazy that it's built around this five-year-old child mm. oh it's i loved it i love yeah i feel like with stephen king and everything like we could just talk forever yes about things so yes we could it's so like, i'll give you yeah. a couple fun facts okay. that you may or may not know okay. and this challenged me a little bit because another person i have had on here also her favorite movie was The Shining. Mm. So I didn't want to have many repeat facts. <laughs> um, so anybody that wants to hear my other facts about The Shining, then go back and see my podcast with Andy Rose. Um, so something I did mention in that one, and I will mention it again because I think it's absolutely hilarious and amazing. Jack Nicholson, to get into the right headspace of being angry all the time ate nothing but cheese sandwiches while he was filming and prior to that and he hates cheese sandwiches that's how angry he wanted to become through and through i have not heard that that's yep. hilarious oh, jack nicholson um okay so stanley kubrick did not read the screenplay which was initially written by stephen king because stanley kubrick described stephen king's writing as weak <laughs> Which is interesting because Stephen King's writing is often praised as mm -hmm. strong writing. So yeah. I think... Difference of opinion. Absolutely. <laughs> um, I sort of touched upon this a little bit. I'm not going to get into the details, but Stanley Kubrick and Shelley Duvall did not get along during the filming. Which, mm -hmm. by the way, took five years to film. What? So they worked together for five years and did not get along because he brutally brutalized her during the filming. It put her into an overstate of stress. I think I actually did hear that. Oh. I didn't know it took five years. Five oh, years. That's insane. Yep. That is my last fact on that, <laughs> that movie. So what is the next favorite horror movie you'd like to talk about? Candyman. Mm. <laughs> that was um Candyman. Yeah. Candyman. That was a great one growing up and yeah, like you watch it when you're a kid, it's scary. You watch it now, it's not scary, but it's a great story still. Mm -hmm. It it holds up. Where the children of the corn did not hold no. up. No. no. So, um Candyman. I I love well, things that are like even um, the score. Oh, it's so iconic. Yeah. So iconic. Yeah. And I I mean I lost my train of thought, but okay. I, I just, yeah, the Candyman's a great one. Oh, I think what I was going to say is it's, um, like, what do you got? Like a urban legend type thing. Right. So I remember after seeing that, you know, you be it like looking in the mirror in the dark, like Candyman, Candyman, oh. Candyman, like, you know? Yeah. And I think the fear of watching it as a kid, you thought that that really could happen. So Absolutely. It, it built up this excitement and fear altogether, which made me just love it and now I'm just nostalgic when I watch it and you remember being a kid and being scared but in a good way scared right mm -hmm. and <laughs> oh yeah. I remember being at a sleepover watching that movie and they made me do the candy man I think I cried during the whole time because I was convinced he was going to be there <laughs> yeah yeah but I was also nine or ten years old <laughs> yeah but still yes it's if it's able to hold up and even like, like watching Children of the Corn tonight, for example. I watched that when I was a child. I was terrified. That movie just got me. And then watching it tonight, <laughs> ooh. Yeah. But watching Candyman, you don't feel like you said the same horror, 
but it's still very creepy. It really is. It just... And the actor, he did so good. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Good acting, good story. Well, that <laughs> brings into light some of the, <laughs> the fun facts I did not know about this movie. Eddie Murphy was a contender for that role. <laughs> oh. Eddie Murphy. I think I kind of would like to have seen that in a way though. Like what would he have done? Well, that? so they Not said the same they factor. said no because he was only five foot nine and Tony Todd, who plays Candyman, was six foot five. So mm -hmm. they they wanted the height. He was gonna be more intimidating looking at six foot five. <sighs> and apparently also Eddie Murphy had certain salary demands. Oh. So I don't think he would have been as creepy. No. No. Absolutely not. Something about <laughs> Tony Todd's face. I only ever see him as the Candyman. I mean, Absolutely. I haven't seen him in a lot of movies, but anything else, I'm like, that's Candyman. That's completely Candyman. hundred <laughs> um, percent. So the woman who plays Helen, her name is Virginia Madsen. She was originally cast as Bernie, which is Helen's friend. Mm. But then they changed that character to a black character. So... Virginia Madison was out until the woman who was cast to play Helen found out she was pregnant. Oh. So they had Virginia step in and play the main character, Helen. Hmm. But apparently if Virginia wasn't able to play Helen, they were going to offer the role to Sandra Bullock. What? <laughs> I love hearing these almost like could have been, you know, I it's know. like, how would that have it's changed the story? Like so, so drastically. So strange. Sandra Bullock, has she even ever been in a horror movie? Well, she was in The Net, a thriller. Uh, I'm like, that's not really Premonition, a, a thriller. She's been in thrillers. I don't think of those as the horror genre. No, no. I mean, anyway, I forgot about those. Maybe, maybe she has been in, I'm not familiar, oh, super Sandy. familiar with her, with her catalog. <laughs> Um, some fun facts about that movie specifically. So the skyline opening scene, I don't know if you can think of it, but mm -hmm. it's a very, very iconic scene. Apparently it was the first movie ever to have been shot using a certain camera, a certain machine called a sky cam. And that is the first time in history that it was shot so smoothly. Hmm, like so that panoramic kind yeah, of shot. the skyline of Chicago. Oh, mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Way to go. Team working on the candy mm -hmm. man. Started that <laughs> <laughs> filming innovation. Um, I got a whole bunch more fun facts here. The bees. They were real and they were bred to specifically appear in this movie. They were not fake. They were not CGI. Oh my gosh. In addition... The mouthful of bees, he really filmed that. Oh my goodness. He filmed it as well as all over these bees all over his face. He, Tony Todd, was stung 23 times and got a bonus for each sting. He got a bonus for each sting. You're like, please sting me more. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's how huh. into their craft they were. And then on top of that, that, Virginia Madsen was allergic to wasps oh. and the director didn't believe her. So she went and had to have all of this allergy testing done ahead of time. And yes, it came back. She's allergic to wasps. So they had to have a bee wrangler and <laughs> a bee wrangler. A bee wrangler. And Is when that they, even a thing? apparently, <laughs> and then, so when she was shooting with bees, they had to use baby bees on her. Oh, cause they don't have stingers Baby yet? bees. That's, that's really cute. It's very cute. <laughs> Which still be horrifying though. Yes. Yes. But I very don't like cute. bees or wasps. No, of like course I can't. No. Yeah. <laughs> Baby bees. Baby bees. <laughs> another, another couple fun facts, and then we'll be done with that one. So Philip Glass, very, very well-known composer. He composed um, the score for this, and he was disappointed with the movie. He felt it ended up being a low-budget slasher instead of an artful version of a short story written by Clive Barker called The Forbidden. So this movie is based on a Clive Barker short story called I didn't the know that. Maybe we need to read that. Mm -hmm. I could see how it could be a do. slasher, like a low-budget slasher. Like, it is kind of, but... I, yes. I guess uh, Philip Glass thought it was going to be art, artsy. It was going to be impactful. Hmm. 
and it ended up being not an artsy version of a Clive Barker short story. Um, and then lastly, there was an actual killer named the Candyman. Oh. In 1970 to 1973, a man named Dean Coral kidnapped, tortured, and murdered at least 28 boys. He earned his nickname because his family owned a candy factory. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I kinda, had no idea this was based on any real... Well, it's not based on it, but, but it just like... so happens to be from that area. There was an actual killer named the Candyman. Ugh. And yeah. But I got to tell you, I'll take that story. No, no, no. The, the movie Candyman yeah. over the story of yeah. this. Yeah. What actually happened. Hmm. Those are... Yeah. I was going to say fun facts. I don't know if they're fun. They're <laughs> facts, nonetheless. They, they are facts. Interesting, though. Yes. And so the last horror movie that you should talk about. But not the last, because I have so many favorites. Well, of so we can do... One that I had to narrow it down to, because you made me. <laughs> um... <laughs> Get Out. Get Out. You know, I love so many different things about it. It's, there are funny moments, serious moments, moments where you're like, what, what is happening? Mm -hmm. Like, you just don't know. I mean, in some aspects, like I kind of predicted a little, like some of it, definitely not all of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I like the acting. Yeah, the acting was good. Yeah. I mean, overall, I thought it was really entertaining and I've seen it twice. I should actually probably watch it again. Um, I just like the story. Like at the time when it came out, there wasn't really anything kind of like that. Like oh, definitely. Jordan Peele's not. vision is—he's so unique with the stories that he comes up with, mm -hmm. and yeah, it was great. I I, I like it too when there's. Um, I mean, I love all like you said. Like it's hard to pick because I like so many different genres of horror movies, but I like that this hit lots of different elements and it had that like a little bit of comedy like there were a few like laugh out loud mm -hmm, moments definitely. and but then it was really intense at some parts and um well the idea yeah. of people doing that is absolutely horrifying yeah <laughs> yeah actually and yeah i don't know overall just a really cool a really cool concept mm -hmm. and great acting yeah I don't know what else to say. I, yeah, I'm with you. I loved it too. I thought it was really, really, really well done. So yeah. some facts. We're not going to say fun facts. We'll yeah. just say facts. Facts. I don't know how fun they all are. <laughs> Stuff I did not know in any way until I was researching this. There is a subplot about the Holy Grail in this movie. Okay. So when Lakeith Stanfield's character is abducted, which is actually at the beginning of the movie, mm -hmm. which I think the first time I saw that, I didn't really connect that. But you do. He gets, you know, taken right away. Mm -hmm. The abductor is wearing a Knight's Templar helmet, which is right off the bat. This is what Jordan Peele likes to do in his movies. He likes to give you the whole plot of the movie in the first few minutes, but you don't pick up but on like it. But like subliminally kind not of. Even, that's not subliminal. That is straight <laughs> up in your face. He's wearing a knight, Knight's Templar helmet and kidnapping a black man. That's the whole same thing with us. Yeah. Chud. The, the, the storyline for us is based on the movie Chud. You see the VHS copy of Chud in the first 30 seconds. So he likes to put it right out there in plain sight. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so this Knight's Templar helmet, it's an element of the Red Alchemist Society, which is the secretive group that comes together to bid on black bodies to inhabit. Hmm. Jordan Peele's voice was used twice in this movie, which I did not know. No. There was a scene at the beginning where a moose, no, deer, deer gets hit. He moaned as the dying deer. <laughs> I love that. Of course. Like, it's just, I don't know. Like, like, I don't. like hold on, guys. I we're really want to really make this. the sound. Okay. No, I'm, not, I'm like pretending I'm Jordan Peele. You should, though. you should try it but right I'm now, pretending, Like, oh, guys, hold on. I really want to be part, I want to be in this movie. So I'm going to be I the dying this, deer. I'm just going to be like, mm. I don't even, I know. <laughs> that was a good attempt. I like that. You should write to him. Be too loud, but <laughs> yeah, can I be, can I be the, the dying deer next time? <laughs> It sounds like even worse. It, yeah. 
It's a good attempt, though. You know, if you had alcohol in you, this would be even louder and funnier. Oh, my God. Next time, next time. He also plays the voice of the narrator for the United Negro College Fund, the personal service announcement where he talks about your mind and how oh, it's yeah. a shame to lose it. I need to watch it again. And then you hear all these things and see all these things. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, cool. yeah. Yep. Hmm. Uh, currently, the movie is being taught in universities. What? Yep. Like, like there's a course on the movie Get Out? I don't know if it's a course, <laughs> but yeah, the professors are teaching this movie in university because there's so many layers of like racism symbolism. and meta yeah metaphors left, right, and center, and you know the history of when he. It, when he is pushed down, when he's put into a trance, yeah. is a representation of black people being pushed down and black people being like segregated. Yes. Hmm. Um, another thing that I thought was really neat, which I didn't pick up on until I read this. Silly me. Um, there is the scene where Rose is her name and Chris is his name. They were stopped by a policeman. Mm -hmm. And right away, he wants to see the driver's license, and Rose immediately jumps to his defense and says, why? Why do you have to see that? And you think it's because she's standing up for him acting out against racism, but it was actually to ensure that there was no paper trail connecting Chris to her family. Hmm. Creepy as fuck. Yeah. The more, yeah, the more you go back and... Yeah. Yeah, the whole thing was planned. <laughs> And lastly, this is where this ties in with what we were talking about earlier with endings. This movie has, I enjoyed the ending, don't get me wrong, but it was wrapped up a little bit in a pretty bow. Yeah. Jordan Peele didn't want that ending. Oh. And apparently he released it with a different ending and then went back and did the ending he did. The ending he wanted was when Chris is arrested for the carnage at their house. And when he sees his friend next, it's when he's in jail getting the life sentence. Oh. Mm -hmm. That's dark. I would have liked that, yeah. personally. Yeah. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I thought so. I definitely didn't know any of those facts. No, no. Very nice little fun facts. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think that wraps up everything here. And um, is there anything else you want to add? No, read read the book. Read the, read the, book the story. The, the story. story. Well, in general, read books first and then watch the movie. That's yes. my opinion. But read the Children of the Corn story. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. It and was, the Shining. It was very you. enjoyable. Oh, read the Shining. <laughs> yeah. Always read the Shining. Yeah. <laughs> well, have a good night, everybody. I hope you enjoyed, and thank you for stopping by, Julia. Thank you for having me.